It's time for the Rose Chat Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the world's most beloved flower, the rose. Join award-winning gardeners Chris Van Cleef and Teresa Byington as they chat with rose lovers and experts from around the globe. With each episode, you'll gain valuable knowledge and insights to achieve the rose garden you've always dreamed of. Listen now as we explore the world of roses. Hey friends, Dr. Gary Rankin and Dr. Monica Valentovic are with me today. Both are big winners in service to local rose societies and the American Rose Society, writing fabulous articles for the American Rose Magazine and serving for the past 26 years as editors for the Huntington Rose Society newsletter called Thorny Bush. Is that just the best name or what? They're here today to chat about two of their favorite rose classes, the miniatures and the mini floras. Hey guys, welcome to Rose Chat. Thanks a lot, Teresa. It's glad to be with you today. Well, Hi, Teresa. Glad to meet you and glad to be here. Hey, I'm so glad, so glad. You know, now I know societies that can't find anyone to be the newsletter editor. So how have they talked you into this or is this just something you just love with a passion? Uh, basically what happened is the previous editors uh, decided to retire and uh, and we've been doing it ever since. So and you we must any volunteers. Oh my goodness. Well, I think I need to be on your mailing list. So it must be doing a great job. And I know your, your Rose Society appreciates it. Now we all come to roses in different ways and I love to hear those stories. So could you guys share how you came to grow roses? Yeah, I actually, I got interested in roses because of my grandfather. Uh, He would always plant, you know, one or two roses he got that he only paid a dollar or two for. And they would get black spot and all the leaves would fall off. And then it finally would get a beautiful bloom. And he'd cut it and take it to my grandmother. And it was like he had given her the world. So I realized then roses were kind of special. And so I, I always had a few roses at my house. Uh, when Monica and I started dating, she'll tell you the story about how we suddenly went from a few to a whole lot. <laughs> so uh, my family always grew roses. Uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and we uh, had a city lot. And my dad always had about 15 or so roses, um, hybrid tea and floribunda. And we had one old garden rose. Um, his favorite was Peace. And uh, uh, we would always enjoy them and have to fight with uh, uh, diseases that, that would happen. But they were really enjoyed by um, everyone in the family. And what Gary was mentioning is that when we were dating in Huntington, West Virginia, um, I went to his yard and uh, he had some space. Um, so I asked if, if I could plant some roses and then I think he was shocked when, uh, uh, an order box came with about 17 roses in it. Uh, cause then he realized, you know, there was a disease happening here. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. I had like three or four roses out in the backyard and Monica saw that and she said, Oh, here's an opportunity, you know, cause she lived in a townhouse and didn't have space. So Suddenly our backyard grew from about three or four roses up to about 30. Um, And we had an instant where our our golden retriever decided that 
roses looked like something she should be eating. So she pulled up all the new roses we had planted, chewed them all up. And fortunately, Jackson and Perkins replaced them all for free. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know that dogs would do that. We have deer pressure here, but I didn't know there could be a problem with dog pressure as well. Usually it's not an issue, but that golden retriever had a special rose, uh, (laughs) color magic, and she chewed that thing down to the ground, I don't know how many times, Uh, but, you know, she just had some sort of taste to it that that she really liked. So now I'm curious, how many do you grow now? We have about 300 uh, roses. Uh, what, What happened was Monica decided that she wanted to join a local rose society. And she went to the rose show and tried to uh, join. And it was a real adventure because they couldn't find a, a form that she could fill out to join. And anyway, after a long time, we finally arranged that she paid for it. And we started going to, to the meetings. She started going to the meetings. And she got invited to go to a rose show uh, over in Charleston, West Virginia. And I wanted to be a supportive spouse. So we cut a few roses and we took them over to the show and we entered them. And of course we didn't win anything, but we looked at that trophy table and figured, well, we're scientists. We can figure out how to, how to do this. We can make these roses look just as good. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I think the bottom line was that's when I started ordering lots of roses. And before long we went from 17 to 125 and then when we moved out to where we live now, where we have an acre of land, uh, it grew to 300. Oh, my. So many people have that same story. A little bit different, but same story. Okay, so we will get to rose shows here in a little bit. But let's go back to the beginning of the minis and the mini floras. Yeah, I got interested in, in that because when we started to exhibit, um, Monica was more interested in the large roses, the hybrid teas and the climbers and so forth. So we sort of agreed to uh, split it up. Uh, I would primarily take care of the many, so many floors and she would do the larger roses. And so we ordered a lot of those. And I began to want to learn then about where those roses came from. And their history goes all the way back to China, does it not? Yeah, it actually, there, there's some disagreement on where the first rose, miniature rose, came from. Uh, but there was a rose that was uh, probably called uh, Rosa Chinensis Minima that was very popular in China that was probably transported by Europeans to Europe. And it was rediscovered in about 1917 by Colonel Roulette in a... Um, a window box, actually, in Switzerland. There was a little window box at this inn, and he saw this little rose in there, and he named it after himself, actually. The rose is called Roletti. Uh, but, the, but the original miniature was probably uh, uh, Rosa Chinensis Minima, and that was, it appears to be the same rose as Roletti. Oh, my. Yeah, so that's probably where it came from. There also is another very early rose called uh, Pompon de Paris, uh, Paris that uh, was a, another early rose that was a miniature rose. 
but we're sure that it's the uh, Genensis Menomo that was probably the original one. Now, fast forward a little bit, and then we get a king of minis. Tell us about him. Well, the popularity of miniature roses was beginning to die out in the 1800s. Uh, the people that were producing roses for the general public were producing more large roses. And then around uh, 1951 or so, uh, Ralph Moore got interested in miniature roses. And he introduced over 500 different miniature roses throughout his career. Roses like Toy Clown and Scarlet mm -hmm. Moss, Billy Walters and others. And he sort of then began to be the, the main person uh, that was beginning to provide the public with miniature roses here in the United States. And Ralph had an amazing career. He lived to be 102 years old. Um, he had very, maybe working with minis give you longevity. I hope so anyway. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but then we also had Dee Bennett, who if Ralph was the king, uh, the father of miniature roses, Dee Bennett was probably the, the queen or the mother of miniature roses. Uh, she was from Western Australia and became a war bride. She married a, a sailor in the U.S. Navy, and they moved back to the United States and settled around San Diego in California, uh, very near, actually, where Ralph Moore had, had his nursery. And always a gardener, Dee Bennett uh, visited Ralph Moore's uh, garden one day in 1971, and really got smitten by the roses that that he was growing. She she was just fascinated by these these miniature roses. So she ended up through her career patenting uh, eighty different miniature roses. Some of which are uh, still very popular today, like Irresistible and Grace Seward, which is a five petaled white single. Uh, Mother's Love, which is a, a beautiful uh, rose. It's a sort of a, a pinkish uh, rose. And Snow Bride, which is a very pure white miniature rose. So she was probably the, the queen, and Ralph was probably the king. Um, I think my first miniature roses were Mini Pearl and Cupcake. Okay, okay. Well, Harm Seville is the one that introduced Mini Pearl. Uh, he was another one of the early hybridizers that were promoting uh, miniatures. He actually not only would take his own and introduce them, but he would introduce roses from other people that were hybridizing. And he introduced 114 different varieties during his time, 12 of which were Award of Excellent Winners. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Well, I know that many and many florists can be hard to find, but there is one nursery that has quite a few that I'm real familiar with, and that's High Country Roses. And the owner there has his own story. Um, Matt Douglas has a real vested interest in growing these because his mother was a great friend of Ralph Moore's, and Matt remembers going to Ralph's garden as a child. And I think Ralph eventually named a rose for Matt's mother, but it wasn't a mini. It was um, a hybrid ragosa that we still hear about today, Linda Campbell. She was Linda Campbell. And that's a beautiful red ragosa. 
But there's one more story that if you don't know it, you're going to find fascinating. Matt still has his mother's button that she wore from one of the ARS conventions. And the button says, equal rights for minis. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. So, you know, if our listeners are looking for uh, many and many floors, there are there are roses that Matt's growing and he's real dedicated to keeping um, these going. But I just loved that. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not sure what the year would have been for that. But, you know, probably after that, many started having their own convention, don't you think? Right. The, uh, there's a national convention for, for miniatures. Uh, they have their own show and programs and, and so forth. Uh, we've been to several of those over the years and, and have really enjoyed them. You know, it's kind of interesting, too, Teresa, about the mini floor roses and how they originated. Um, back when these hybridizers were trying to generate new miniature roses, they were crossing miniatures with floribundas and, and other types. And a lot of times they would get roses that the bloom was too big to be called a miniature uh, or the growth habit was too small to be called a floribunda. And they were just, just throwing these away. They just, they weren't yeah. developing them. They weren't going to a market. And a man by the name of uh, Ben Williams, uh, who was lived in Maryland, decided that there should be a market for those roses. And he actually trademarked the name Mini Flora back in the early 1970s. Um, eventually, uh, Ben got the trademark offered to the American Rose Society. And in 1999, the American Rose Society accepted Mini Flora as a new rose classification. And uh, when that happened, all those roses that were being thrown away now suddenly became eligible for commerce. There are some beautiful ones in that class for sure. Um, now, earlier, you mentioned um, the American Rose Society's Award of Excellence. Could you share a little bit more about this program and how awards are given? Yeah, this, is, this was started back in 1973. Uh, they wanted to, the American Rose Society felt they should be recognizing these new miniature and mini floor roses that were, were being put into commerce. And so they developed this program where uh, two of each variety that are entered in the program are sent to public and private gardens that are evaluators. Uh, There are currently seven public gardens and two private gardens, including ours, that evaluate these roses on 11 different criteria. A regular miniature or mini flora that's entered in the program is evaluated for two years and then uh, climbers, miniature climbers or mini floor climbers are evaluated for three years. And then we score these. Monica is an evaluator just like I am in our garden. And we score these criteria four times each year and send those in to Dr. James Herring in Ohio, who runs the AOE program for the American Rose Society. Um, once we do that, then... We eventually have those ratings compiled. They go out to the miniature and miniature rose committee members, uh, which I'm also on. And then we vote for whether these entries get the award of excellence uh, designation or not. And so what it really means is that 
you are good rose that grows well in anywhere just about in the country. So if you see a miniature miniature rose that has the AOE designation on it, then you know that it's it's a good rose. Monica, you might comment on the spray, no spray thing. Yeah, and many of these AOE uh, test plants, uh, they have numbers on them, so we don't really know what the trade name will be. Um, they are in a no spray program. So that means we, we don't spray. I, I do all the spraying and I do not spray them with any fungicide or insecticide. And uh, that's part of the evaluation process as well. So the roses that are in the no spray component and pass, they are very disease resistant. And, you know, we evaluate them spring, summer, and fall. So we're looking at uh, how they handle spring diseases such as powdery mildew, uh, all the way to fall when you get more of the uh, anthracnose and the, the black spot. But these roses are very hardy uh, to be able to be no spray. And uh, a lot of them are, are really beautiful. Now, is there any uh, where, where we have a list of roses that have won that award so that people would know? Uh, it's probably on the uh, American Rose Society website, uh, www. ARS.org. Um, it's, it's really interesting that a lot of times if you look at a catalog, you'll see that it's won an award of excellence. Uh, they'll mention that in, in the catalog. There's another publication. It's called the Combined Rose List. Are, are you familiar with that? Yes. Okay. Combined Rose List is a publication that's put out by Peter Schneider in uh, Mantua, Ohio. Uh, it comes out every year, and it lists all the roses in commerce, and he also indicates whether they've won an award or not. So it, it's important to, uh, if you see AOE, to know that it's it's a rose that grows just about uh, anywhere. Excellent, excellent. And it is on the ARS website. They can find that list. Okay, good. And I think that website is rose.org. Yes, rose.org. Yep, they made it easy for us, rose.org. I've got to say that some of the most beautiful roses I have ever seen are the many and many floras that John Hefner and Mark Nolan bring to my local (laughs) Rose Society shows. Um, They grow uh, hybrid teas and all of the roses too, but I mean, they are just spectacular in this category. And um, so that just makes me think of rose shows and many of our listeners may not know much about rose shows. So could you share a little bit about a rose show and how to get involved and, and just that hobby in general? Well, a lot of local rose societies uh, will have a rose show once a year. And so the first thing to do is if you're not a member of a local rose society and you don't see it advertised, you might want to contact the local rose society and find out if they have a show. Um, we usually advertise our shows in the local newspaper so that the public knows that it's going to happen. You can also, if you're a member of the American Rose Society, in the back of the magazine, there's a listing of when local shows are going to be and where and and all that basic information, along with a contact person that you can contact. Um, But Rose shows are put on by Rose Societies, and they're at several different levels. The local Rose Society, uh, the American Rose Society also has districts, and they will have district uh, rose shows, and then, of course, national. But 
the, the people who enter these rose shows, they are very meticulous about how they grow and protect their roses uh, because you want to have the most perfect rose possible. So there's a lot of protection that goes into it, a lot of work for the exhibitor before the, the show starts. But when you go to a rose show, you're going to see roses at their most perfect stage. And I always tell folks that if you really want to, to see what the pretty roses are, what's beautiful and, and how, how beautiful they can be in their, their perfect state, go to a rose show and see exactly what's there. Now, you'll see them in a lot of different categories. Uh, Monica, you want to talk about the categories in a rose show? Yes, so the categories could be uh, a bloom with stem, which is uh, as the foliage, again, in the most perfect state, disease-free. Uh, it could be uh, a very popular one is a floating bowl, which basically is the flower in a floating water. And uh, those are really nice because sometimes, especially with minis, uh, they have a beautiful bloom, but they don't have a large stem to them. They're very short and maybe only a foot to two foot tall. So you can just cut the bloom, bring it inside, put it in a bowl of water, and let it float. And that, and that actually is really pretty. Um, another thing that they sometimes have is a box where, again, they are matched either as six or an American box of nine. And you're looking at the same form. So in other words, they, they may be uh, very circular. They could be uh, open stamen. And then uh, also the balance of the colors and the size. Um, the other thing I want to mention if, if people can't find a rose show to go to that is sanctioned by the American Rose Society, a lot of county fairs and state fairs have also a rose section. And the advantage to those is that although they may not be at exhibition and they may not be the most perfect bloom because usually those uh, are in water for a couple of days outside in the heat, uh, they tell you what roses grow in your area in your county or your state. So sometimes if you're really looking to see what would work for you, that's another way to find uh, roses that would grow in your area. Yeah, the rose exhibitors are they're uh, a very possessed group of people, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> because they're trying to win those trophies that, that are given. And so you put a lot of preparation into it. You get there early in the morning. A lot of times you're getting there at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, you get your entries in up until about 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And then judges who are experts in, in all sorts of roses will come through and evaluate the rose and give it a, a ribbon if it deserves it. Blue for first, red for second, yellow for, for third. And then from the blue ribbons, they'll pick the best in that category, whether it's a, a floating bowl or something. One that I really like is, is putting a bloom in a picture frame on the black velvet background that can really be striking and then uh, the ones that win are put on what we call the trophy table and so if you go to a rose show go to the trophy table those are the best of the best mm -hmm. and those are the ones that got the top awards um, in any show the best rows in like hybrid teas, one per stem, miniatures, one per stem, mini flora, one per stem, is the queen. Uh, roses, uh, royalty, it, the female is the top. So it's the queen is the best in that, in that category. And the king comes second, and then the princess. 
and Prince is fourth. So if you look at the royalty on the table, the queen is the best of that particular uh, type of rose. Um, I'm from a farming community and a lot of 4-Hers, and I would say it's not just rose exhibitors that are a little crazy. We have uh, pigs being shown and little sheep and goats and dahlias. And, you know, when you get into the whole dahlia realm, that gets really crazy, too. But one thing I wanted to point out is since I'm not a, a big exhibitor, although I do participate in our locals and bring what I have, but um, uh, there are novice categories. So if you're new, um, one of the things that um, I remember well, my first rose show, there's always someone to help you get your roses ready. And there's categories just for you as a novice. So um, you don't have to totally jump in and compete with the big guys <laughs> right off the bat. And yeah. I really appreciated that soft entry. Yeah, that's really important because um, I mentioned that rose show that Monica and I went to back in the early 90s. Um, there were people there that would provide uh, assistance to us. Um, we did enter the novice category and we didn't win it, but uh, we were persistent. We went to how many shows that five or six shows? Probably. Five, Probably. Yeah, five or six shows. We finally won a novice trophy and that, that got us on the road. <laughs> Oh, boy, see that soft entry, you know, and it is even for someone who is not a big time exhibitor. It's exciting. It's exciting to see all that and to see the work that's put into that. And uh, it is just a really fun and educational opportunity. Now, we don't always have a um, ARS Rose show. Um, We are this year for our Indianapolis Rose Society, but we always do something um, um, for the public to show the roses. And one of the the programs that we've been doing each year is called Rose Fest. And there you'll see a display of beautiful, beautiful roses. And while it may not have all of the judging, we do let the public judge and that sort of thing. So the local societies are doing lots of things that um, that they can help you um, um, that you can attend <clears throat> that will help you not only grow, but maybe even show roses. So do look for your local people and there'll always, always be something on uh, rose.org too. One thing I might mention, uh, Teresa, is that one of the categories they have in road shows is usually the fragrant rose. Um, the public loves fragrant roses and there, there was a very fragrant miniature many years ago. I think it's called Sensational, uh, which is still in commerce. So if you're looking for a fragrant miniature, uh, that's one that you might consider Sensational. Uh, for us, I, I can't smell a lot of the roses. I worked with chemicals for many years as a, in my profession. And something has to be very fragrant for me to smell it. So when we get, we're at a rose show and we're looking for a fragrant rose, Monica makes me cover my eyes and she brings the possible entries by. And if I can smell it, we put it in and we, <laughs> we win quite a bit. <laughs> That's such a good idea. Okay. So let's just talk about some specifics. Are there many, many floors that do better than others in rose shows? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's an exhibitor. Uh, I'm not an exhibitor. There's a hybridizer uh, named David Clemens. 
and he has he hybridizes most of his roses and names them after uh, horse race horses that race in races. So he has probably been one of the top exhibitors. I mean, exhibitors, uh, one of the hybridizers for generating uh, exhibition mini floras and miniatures. The top exhibition mini flora is called Whirlaway, which is named mm-hmm. after a racehorse. And he also has hybridized the top exhibition miniature rose, which is Joy. Uh, Joy was named after his mother. So that's, a, that's the top uh, exhibition miniature. The top five exhibition miniatures are Joy, a rose called Bee's Knees that was originally introduced by Jackson and Perkins as a garden rose, but it's turned out to be a very good exhibition rose. Uh, Daddy Frank comes in at number three. Seroptimus International comes in at four. And Fairhope, which was hybridized in Alabama, uh, has come in at number five. So, yeah, those are some of the top uh, miniatures. Mini Floras, uh, Whirl Away is the top exhibition mini flora. There's a rose called Nancy Jean, uh, originally introduced as a miniature rose, but the bloom is very large. And recently it was reclassified as a mini flora. And it's named after uh, the wife of a hybridizer named Vernon Rickard, uh, who passed away a few years ago. Beautiful uh, rose, sort of apricot colored. Foolish Pleasure comes in at number three. And that's, again, named after a racehorse. And that's a David Clemens rose. And number five is uh, Dr. John Dickman, who's named after Dr. John Dickman up in Ohio. Uh, just an absolutely wonderful gentleman. So that's a very appropriate rose. And Dr. John Dickman is, is quite a, it has a pretty good fragrance to it. And it, it actually is a rose that once you cut it, it, it does have pretty good staying power in your, in, in the house if you bring it in, as well as uh, Whirl Away and Nancy Jean. And I think the one rose that really lasts a long time is Joy. When you cut it, it really will stay. So you get to enjoy it maybe for five, six days in, in your house. So that that's really great. Yeah, the color of Dr. John Dickman, it's sort of a, a mauve color with a little bit of red on the edge. If you ever grow the hybrid tea Paradise, uh, it looks a lot like Paradise, but in a mini flora size. Mm. For many years, I grew joy. It was a joy to grow as a garden rose. It bloomed and bloomed and bloomed and bloomed. And like you say, I love to bring them in, so it lasts in a vase. I lost it during a particularly bad winter. So um, um, I haven't replaced it, but it is an absolutely outstanding rose. So we've talked about our recommendations. So what else do we need to know about many, many floras? Well, I think that's, that's mostly it, except when we talk about a couple of things. One is trends. Um, hybridizers now have been really sort of quiescent. We haven't seen a whole lot of new roses come out. Uh, the, the big exhibitor, I mean, uh, hybridizer now is a guy by the name of Dave Bang, who's out in, in uh, California. And he started introducing a lot of st- uh, so-called striped miniatures and mini floras. And his, his roses are really uh, catching on with the public. 
And some of them are exhibition roses, and some of them are just garden roses. But, you know, he has some like Swizzle and Swirly Pop and uh, some others that are really beginning to, to catch up. One's called Hot and Zesty. That's a miniature. It's sort of a, a pink and white striped bloom, but has beautiful form and seems to grow pretty well. So one of the trends is you're going to see more and more of these striped miniatures. You're also going to see more of the what we call the decorative form, uh, which are more looking like some of the old garden roses or, um, look, or like a mom. You see that, mm-hmm. that form in the bloom a lot more now. For us, the big challenge is availability. Uh, when Monica and I got started growing roses uh, by number, there were lots and lots of small businesses that uh, would sell, they would hybridize and sell roses. Bridges Roses is a good example of that over in North Carolina. Um, and there are many in Oregon, like Oregon Miniature Roses, um, Taylor's Roses that was down in Alabama. All of these are closed. And so the latest one that closed that was really a, a source for a lot of roses was For Love of Roses, which was in um, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So that was a big source for us for getting these roses. Now most of the roses we buy uh, come from K&M roses down in Mississippi. And you can get those bare root uh, and grow them, or you can get them budded onto a rootstock like Fortuniana, uh, which won't grow in our region, but if you live in the southern part of the country, you're more likely to be able to get uh, Fortuniana to grow. And those roses go huge, and you get your miniatures become really big when you grow them. We, we, of course, here in the Midwest don't um, do Fortuniana either, but I see them, and they're taller than, you know, I am. I mean, these are, you know, six-foot, you know, seven-foot roses, so you need a ladder. Yeah, I, I care for them. They're tall. When we wrote the article on Mentor and Mentor Roses for the Rose Annual, for the American Rose Society Rose Annual last year, uh, I had asked Dr. Satish Prabhu to, uh, if he would provide me some pictures of miniatures in his garden. And I get, wanted to include those in the, in the article Monica and I were writing. And he sent me some pictures, and there's one picture that that we got that's of his wife, Vijaya, standing next to Fortuniana uh, grafted <laughs> miniature roses. It's over her head. I mean, this is what, six feet tall? Easily. Yeah, and that's a miniature. So <laughs> That's a different rootstock, I tell you. It just, they're oh. tall. They're tall. Well, the other place we saw that that really impressed me is you may you may be familiar with Sandy and Bob Lundberg mm-hmm. uh, from Bluffton, uh, South Carolina. They both passed away now, mm-hmm. but uh, top exhibitors in the country. And Monica and I visited their garden, and as we walked in, I, we saw this little this bush. It was about what five, four, five feet tall, and it was covered with these beautiful single yellow blooms, the five petal yellow rose, and I couldn't get over it. There were probably 80 or 90 blooms at, at that time. And so when, when Sandy got home, I asked her, what, what is that rose? And she said, it's my sunshine, a miniature rose. And at my house, 
my sunshine grew about 12 inches and had about three blooms. So that's what Fortuniana rootstock can do. It can really increase the number. Oh, my goodness. Well, hopefully there's going to be more resources um, on the horizon for um, to get these roses into our gardens. Um, and I, I, I'm picking up some of the younger generation are kind of getting excited about hybridizing themselves. So I think we've got some interest in some of our uh, young growers. That's great. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of buzz about that. So. Well, guys, I have to say there was a tiny quote in your article in last year's American Rose magazine that really stood out to me, and I had to laugh. As we begin to began to exhibit roses, the number of roses we grew expanded quickly. <laughs> and I thought, I just laughed because most exhibitors I know, you know, I, I talked about Mark and John, you know, they had hundreds and hundreds of roses that were just perfect. So those words, I think you spoke for every rose exhibitor. <laughs> But I'm not I'm not laughing. I think I have about 150 and I don't I'm not a big exhibitor. So if I have a beauty that day, you know, of course, I want it to get a blue ribbon and I get just as excited as the next person. But um, but anyway, I think uh, those that was a great article, by the way. And and but when I read that, I just got to the end of that sentence, which was at the end of a page. And I just giggled because I thought, you know, (laughs) (laughs) true words, true words there. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I tell you, uh, if someone is interested in starting to exhibit roses, whatever kind, uh, go and find the top exhibition roses. They're lists usually in the American Rose magazine sometime during the year or you can find it online. Because the first thing I learned was we were not growing exhibitor roses. We were growing garden roses. Mm-hmm. And so the judges want roses that have a certain form. Uh, they have certain proportions to the bloom and the leaf, and we weren't growing those roses. So the first thing I did was I looked, I got the top 10 hybrid teas and the top 10 miniatures and ordered two of each of them. And very soon we had an exhibitor's garden. There you go. There you go. Sounds easy, right? Yeah. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining me today and for all that you do for roses and the way that you serve at your local level and in the National Society, too. I always look forward to your articles in the American Rose magazine, and I'm sure I would equally enjoy your newsletter. So thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. So good to be with you. Now, friends, we're glad that you can join us today, too. Now on our next show, Matt Douglas of High Country Roses is going to join me to chat about his favorite rose class, the hybrid musk. I'll also be asking him to share some of his favorite new roses on the market since he sees so many. And until then, happy gardening. You've been listening to the Rose Chat Podcast with Chris Van Cleve and Teresa Byington, expert rose gardeners who want to help you achieve the rose garden of your dreams. Don't miss an episode. Listen anytime on our website at rosechatpodcast.com or listen on the go via the Rose Chat app on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Share this podcast with your social networks and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using the hashtag rosechat. Join us next time for another edition of the Rose Chat Podcast. The Rose Chat Podcast is a production of the Rose Chat Media Group.
Birmingham, Alabama.